Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I'll do a quick recap of last week, and last week we continued our Tactics of the Enemy series, and we started going into now uh, deception, and we talked about deceived uh, who me, and the idea of the enemy deceiving us in five key areas, and yeah, I just got to catch up here. Anyways, it'll come up there. There we go. Here we go. Deceived to me. Five key areas the enemy seeks to deceive us. God. Who is God? Identity. Who am I? Belonging. Where do I belong? And who are my people? Uh, purpose. Why am I here? What is my purpose and origin? Where did I come from? Uh, and that's, that's another important one, right? So the enemy seeks to trip us up in all of those areas with ultimately the same goal in mind. I mean, his, his biggest goal is not just to distort, you know, your image of who you think you are. Uh, his biggest goal is always to tear down the image of God and to keep us from knowing God. That, that is what he wants. That's his goal. And everything that he does, he wants to distort your picture of who God is. If he can, make you con uh, convince you that he doesn't exist. Uh, and if he can't do that, he wants to convince you that he isn't good and a whole host of other things. He wants you to not believe correctly about God. Because what you believe determines how you behave and what type of person you become. And he doesn't want image bearers bearing his image on the earth. So we, we talked also about this, you know, the, a quick recap from the end, and that was, you know, what can we do to start practicing how to distinguish good from evil, truth over lies? And it was know, obey, and live. Know the truth. Learn about God and learn to know God, right? You have obey the truth, submit to Jesus as only Savior. Yes, we often talk about that, but also as functional Lord. He's our Lord. He's more than just our Savior. He's our King. He's our Lord. He gives us direction. And then also live by the Spirit. Pray to God and hear from God. And that's where we're going to jump off of today for today's message. And uh, we'll continue down that vein. So learning to distinguish good from evil, truth over lies, um, has never, at least in our culture, has never been more relevant than it is today. Because, you know, it seems like every day, I don't know if you guys follow the news. I know some people tell me, I don't like following the news, it's depressing. I totally understand the sentiment. Uh, I would do the same thing, except I like to, I, I try to balance that with, I also like to see where we're headed. And the news gives you a lot of understanding about where we're headed. And what you're watching is things like freedom of speech and freedom of thought uh, are, are kind of ideas of the past already. Uh, thing, you know, words are being redefined, words like tolerance, right? Because many of you would probably say, if, I, you know, if I'd ask you for the definition of tolerance, you would say it is we treat each other with dignity and respect regardless of our differences in belief. So we can disagree with each other, but we tolerate each other. We, we agree to respect and treat each other with dignity and love, and yet that's not that's not the definition of tolerance anymore because what we're hearing and seeing in the news and in our culture is that unless you, you, not only do you have to believe, you have to support beliefs that are contrary to yours or you could even be canceled. You know, I've been, I've been uh, saving news articles and I estimated to Christine, I just had her, uh, she's my assistant and I, I asked her to put it, to start saving them in three different categories. And I estimated to her that in the last few months, I'm like, I don't know, have I been sending one a week? I, I try to keep my estimates low. Uh, she came back and said, no, it's been two or just over two per week that I've been sending her of uh, things related to this kind of topic. But I think it was, uh, maybe it was the end of last year, you may have maybe saw this, but um, I don't know if you know who the author of Harry Potter is, but it's J.K. Rowling. I'm not gonna be talking about Harry Potter, other than to say her beliefs have got her in trouble. Her beliefs and her stance on transgenderism has got her in a lot of trouble because she's a feminist. Anyways, so she's been canceled. Well, I just read an article of someone who, now there's this new Harry Potter game, I've not played it, but anyhow, there's a new game that came out, on, it's a video game, and there was a, an individual who had lost their job because they were excited and had posted about this excitement for this game. That was then, uh, you know, that was an act of hate strong enough to get them canceled and fired from their position at their job. Think about that. That's being canceled for liking a game from someone who's been canceled. That is the very opposite of tolerance. That's not tolerance. This is the world we're living in today. This is our post-Christian world, where it seems sometimes like up is down and down is up. 
and good is bad, and bad is good. And that's what we're raising our kids in. And so this topic matters. It matters that we learn to distinguish good from evil, truth, over lies. I, an example we've used many times before, and, and I'll give it again because it's so good. Counterfeit money. When they're training agents to, to be able to detect counterfeit money, their strategy is not to take all the counterfeits, put them together, because this actually plays into uh, the angle I'm going to take today. It's not to take every counterfeit and study all the, the counterfeit areas, the, you know, how to spot the counterfeit. That's not how they train their agents to, to be able to determine what's counterfeit. You know what they do? They get them to study the real thing. I don't know if they taste it, but for sure they smell it, they touch it, they see it, they play with it. Maybe they taste it, I don't know. Maybe that's a thing, I don't actually know. But anyways, I don't know if you can hear it, but with whatever senses they can, they get to know intimately the real thing. And by getting to know intimately the real thing, they're able to spot even the smallest, minute details that are off. And I know we've used that before, but that really is, church, that is the best strategy for how we're going to fight the, you know, the age to come and the deception that's coming our way. Because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll list a few things here. I mean, we got to know the truth. This is, this is the big strategy to combat lies. Know the truth. I'll just list off a couple of lies. This is just a handful, and I deleted a whole bunch. I have way more that I could have listed. The God of the Old Testament is a different God than, than the New Testament. God doesn't exist. It's a lie. If he's real, he isn't good. If he exists, he must not be powerful, or he's evil if he does. All paths lead to heaven. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Do whatever makes you happy. Your identity, you decide who you are. Trust your heart. Trust your feelings. No one else can tell you who you are. These are just a couple. People are inherently good. That's not even an exhaustive list of the things that we could have listed off here. It's almost overwhelming to try to keep up with all the different nuances and twists on truth. And I didn't even talk, other than tolerance, we didn't talk about all the words that are being redefined in our culture. But there's more. So we have to change our strategy, or we have to really go back to the original strategy that's always been there. We have to build our lives on truth. You build your life on truth. And when you really get to know truth, you get in there and you get to know it intimately. You read it, you memorize it, you obey it, you know it inside and out. You look at your reflection, not, you know, you don't go in here trying to find justification for what you want to do. You actually look in here to find out who you're supposed to be and you align yourself with that. You get to know not, not just about God, but you get to know him. You suddenly begin to have eyes and ears that can see and hear when things are off just even by the slightest little bit. That's why that know, obey, and live by the Spirit is so important because when you do those things, then suddenly you're able to tell those little details. And it's important how we handle deception too because we err sometimes by pushing so strong against a deception that we forget that there's people involved in there. We end up getting known more for what we're against than who we're for, and now we're stuck again in deception because we were told to love people and love our enemies. <laughs> Truth and love, right? You see how easy it is? So first you've got to identify the falsehoods, and then you do, and then now you push against them, but now you stop loving, and now you're sitting on that side. The enemy is warring at us from all sides, and that's why it is so critically important. You build your life on a foundation of truth. And if you don't know what this truth is, or if you're relying on a podcast to tell you what's in here, or if you're just relying on me, you're in trouble. Know it for yourself. Cynthia, I took that uh, podcast comment from her. <laughs> she said that at the Empower when we were serving together. I'm like, amen. That was good. <laughs> but it's true. You got to know it for yourself. All right. I'm going to run out of time if I don't keep going because I have a lot to say today. So, what do we do? That's SMORP. You ever heard of SMORP? It's a Bible acronym that we use here at, at uh, Southland and also in Church Renewal, and it basically says Scripture, Message, Obedience, Repentance, Prayer. That is a great way that you can get to learn, to, to know how to learn about God and learn to know God in the Word. And what I love is it emphasizes the critical components. The Word, prayer, you see that it's bookended there, the Word and prayer, but also the message. And we're going to talk about what types of things you should look for in that message today. But then also obedience. You have to have a response to the Word. 
or you'll end up just like the Pharisees. They missed out because they didn't respond to it with true hearts. And then repentance. We turn from the areas of sin within our own lives and we follow it. So what are the questions that you can ask? And th these are questions. We're actually going to go through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 today. Almost all of it, although I had to take a lot out for, for sake of time. Because we're just going to look at the answers to these questions, which are really, you know, those big five that we talked about last week. And what kind of answers we can get. And these are the things, when I go through something like SMORP, when I'm reading the Word, I'm trying to learn these things. I'm not just always waiting for something to hit me, although sometimes I do kind of go through the Word like that, and I just enjoy reading it. I'm a student of the Word. I also, you, you maybe know this about me already, I absolutely love getting in here. I love it. I memorize it. I read it. I study it. I cross-reference. I have totally dirtied this thing up with color and marks all over the place. It's absolutely wonderful. I love it. I'm going to run out of pages uh, to color on soon, and then I'll switch Bibles. It's great. But anyways, I want to know this. Who is God, and how do I relate to him? I want to know who am I, and what's appropriate for me to do and behave? How am I supposed to behave? How am I supposed to live? What do I learn about me? What do I learn about you guys and humanity? What do I learn, right? And what should I do as a result? These are some of the things that I ask myself. So, moving on. Let's get into Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You guys ready? Isn't it going to be fun? We'll kind of go through. Because we're building our lives on truth. Like, we're going to hit three chapters and see how many truths do you think might be in three chapters? How many foundational truths that we could build our lives on? Good question, right? You think there's five? Maybe? Ten? I don't know. I mean, how many? It's not like every word in the Bible is a foundational truth. Well, let's see. Let's discover that together. Okay, creation. We're going to start with creation. In the beginning, God. Now, I am going to stick mostly in the word other than to uh, just quickly point out the cosmological argument for those who are wondering, what if I don't believe in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Well, I just want to point out that it's actually a logical thing to believe, that everything in existence was created by something. It is. This is uh, Dr. William Lane Craig. Uh, he put this together. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. We know that. Time and space comes back to a singular point, which means the universe has a cause. So it's, it's very reasonable to extrapolate from that, then, that whatever caused it is greater than time and greater than space. Make sense? Because they made time and space. So that means they have to exist outside of time or they had to be existing when time was made. Like, you see what I mean? They had to exist outside of time and outside of space, meaning it's, it's not material. So there's a very rational reason to believe in God right there because I don't know what else fits that criteria. The Bible says God fits that criteria very, very clearly. Okay, so universe began, time and space began, whatever created time and space exists outside of there. God is greater than time and space. Okay, logical argument. Now, let's go back to the word now. And let's talk Bible. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is just Genesis 1, 1. By the way, have you memorized that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? See if you can say it. Some, let's do it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 1. Look at that. That's an easy one to memorize. For anyone in here that says, I can't memorize, that's an easy one. It's a gimme. All right. So what do we learn from, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? I mean, is there a truth already here? Well, I'll tell you this, the enemy will already try to dismantle this. He hates that. He'll try to dismantle it from multiple different ways, either in disproving God's existence, or even within the church. He's done a great job, or he's doing, trying to anyways, of telling people that Genesis 1 to 3 are no longer relevant. They're, they're, uh, they're just, a, it's just a story. It's just a story. Why would you build your life on a story? I don't know. Would you? Would you build your life on Dr. Seuss? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That sounds like a bad drug trip, right? It does. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I shouldn't. Sorry. <clears throat> I betrayed my past there. Uh, <laughs> Romans 1.19 to 20 says, Creation testifies of God, therefore man has no excuse. That's what it says. No one will have an excuse when they get to heaven that I didn't know about God because creation testifies of his existence. It does. And that's why it's such a logical and rational thing to believe in. I don't know how much faith you actually need. I think it takes far more faith to think that nothing created something than that something created something. Right? But anyways, I digress. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says Jesus created them. 
and that not only did he create them, but he actually holds all things together. So he is the creator, all things were created for him and through him, and he actually actively is holding all things together. And now we move to Hebrews, which says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not created from things that are visible. Amazing, right? It's like straight out of a science textbook, it's the word of God. So just from Genesis 1-1, here are three truths, foundational truths that we can learn from that, that we can extrapolate. Three from one verse. There's more words here than in the verse itself. That's how good the Word of God is. God is sovereign, unimaginably powerful, not limited by time and space. Meaning not limited by time, meaning he's eternal. Like that goes on to the next one. He's not limited by time, he's eternal. So I, like we, haven't, we have a span of time. He actually, he exists outside of that. So he can be both in the past, in the present, in the future, all the time. Yeah, hard to understand, amen? But he doesn't exist in time like us. He exists outside of time. He made time. He's sovereign, unimaginably powerful, not limited by space, meaning he doesn't have to be in one place at one time. He's not material like us, okay? And lastly, he's creator. He made everything. He's creative. He loves beauty. By the way, then you go on to the rest of uh, Genesis 1 to 25 there, and we're going to pick up in 26 in a moment, but describes how he created the earth and what he created in there and the detail he put in. And it's amazing because what do you learn about God there? You learn about his beauty. He loves beauty. You could even say he's patient. I didn't even put it on there. But he seems patient. He's not in a rush. Seems to be patient. He likes order. Highly creative. Loves to build things. There's lots we can learn about God and his nature. All right. That's just one. Why does this matter? Implications of truth. Well, I'll tell you why it matters. If all of these things are true... If he is sovereign, eternal, and creator, then he defines us. He defines me, not me. He made me. He defines where I belong. He defines my purpose. He is my origin. You see where I'm going with this? We've hit one verse, three truths about God that already should change the course of your life. How should I respond? That means I am accountable to him. I submit my whole life to him. The world tells you, follow your heart. You say, I, that, that, that's not what it says here. It says, follow, follow Jesus. I surrender my heart. He made me. He knows best what's for me. Right? It's making sense? All right, let's go back on to uh, Genesis. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and over the sea of the, over the, uh, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. I love that. So what kind of uh, truths here? We're just going to, sorry, we're moving through uh, somewhat, somewhat slowly, and I'll try to pick it up, and we'll see. I mean, we can always pick it up next week. So we'll see what I get through today. All right, let's add to our list. Are you ready? So we just read that, let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens, over livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, including spiders. Ugh. So God, created, <laughs> so God created us in his image, male and female, he created them, and he told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And, and uh, then he saw that everything was, that he was made, be, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and morning on the sixth day. So foundational truths that we're going to add on to here. I am created in the image of God. Amago Dei is the word used, right? Image of God. I am created in the image of God. This is an I am statement. There's lots of implications from this. You are not just an animal. You are not just an animal. You're above animals. God only made one of you. Each one of us in here and out there Every human being is an image bearer created in the image of Almighty God himself. He didn't make angels in his image. He did not make animals in his image. He did not make the rest of creation in his image. Although all of them bear his DNA. If God has DNA like us, right? They all bear his fingerprint. It's there. We are the only ones created in his image. And then he only made one of each of us 
There is intrinsic value in that. I am valuable to God. He made me in his image. There's only one of me. There is value. Not with anything you did. You take the worst of the worst sinners that is out there. Think of the, per the worst person in the world that's ever existed. We've all probably had a different name. Some of us probably all had the same name. doesn't matter. Anyways, point is, even they are image bearers and have intrinsic value. Just because they were created Imago Dei in the image of God. It's wild. I mean, there's questions that you can get out of this passage, right? Why would you make us in your image? And we're so frail. Why would you honor us with that? Bestow such, a, such an incredible gift on us out of all the living beings that we get to be image bearers. It's incredible. He also created them to work. I am created to work. I'm valuable. I'm created to work. I have purpose in my work. You know that all of your work has purpose? It can, anyways. Not just church work. It's like, well, your work has purpose. Or like if I'm, you know, spreading the gospel, it has purpose. No. You know, even if you're by yourself and you are working to make the world a better place, your work has purpose and value and meaning. And you can reflect the image of God on the earth around you, even if it's no other human being present to watch, even if it's only your Father God watching you in the secret. When you work hard, you, you reflect his image. He's a hard worker. Do you know that? You ever thought about that? He's a hard worker. You're building something in your garage. You're reflecting the image of God, unless you're building something that, to destroy other people. But you can reflect the image of God. It's pretty incredible like that. You're working at McDonald's. You're flipping burgers. God is our provider. He works hard. You can reflect the image of God there too. It's pretty incredible. I'm created male or female. God chose this. I'm not a mistake. Jesus told Paul, I was just reading that this morning in my devotions in Acts, that while he was, before he was in the womb, he had already picked him out and chose him for work that was going to be done. God told Jeremiah the exact same thing. That he had appointed him a prophet to the nations even while he was in the womb. The psalmist writes that he formed us in our mother's womb. There is value. Human life has value. And we don't dictate who we are. We don't dictate gender. He does. He made us. And he didn't make a mistake. I'm not saying that everything he made, that there's no evil or sin. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. There's brokenness that is permeated into creation, but that's actually what we're seeing. Now, this is important. These basic truths, by the way, we're, how far are we through Genesis here? Well, look at the time. We are, look at that. We're 30 verses in. We're 30 verses in, and we've covered seven truths that should change the way we live already. There's more. This should matter, though, even this last one that I just said, created male or female, because the world's trying to redefine that. There's now four categories. There is gender identity, there is gender expression, there's biological sex, and there's sexual orientation. And there's a whole scale in each one. And it's based a lot on what you feel and what you think and what you decide. And my heart goes out to anybody that is confused or feeling lost and to kids that feel depressed or anxious because they're struggling. My heart goes out. But we do not help our kids by telling them to follow their feelings. Their feelings will not bring them into life. They need truth and they need love and they need compassion. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. I'm very glad that the Word of God tells me not to follow my heart because it also tells me my heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And you want to know a secret about me? The closer I've gotten to know God, the more I realize how true that verse actually is. I'm two decades into following him now, I think. I don't actually know that for sure. Yes, that's true. I am two decades into following him, and I feel like I'm a worse sinner today than I was when I gave my life to him. Because he shows me how fickle I am, how petty, how selfish, 
how much I want to protect me or get glory from him. Anyways, so I don't want to follow my feelings. I led a decade away from the Lord where I followed my feelings. I hurt a lot of people and myself as a result. So, my existence and purpose are determined by God. Carry on, right? <laughs> my existence and purpose are determined by God. I look to him for my identity. You want to find out who you are? It'll tell you who you are. And then you can get to know, even better than telling you who you are, you can get to know the one who made you personally. And you can discover all sorts of things about yourself that you cannot find anywhere else and that you will not find in yourself. That idea that who you are and what you're put here to do, just look inside yourself, is not a biblical idea. Don't fall for it. Okay. 23 minutes. Skipping this. I'll come back to that in another message. Because it's awesome. The creation mandate. There's so much fun that we're going to have with that at some point. Not today. <laughs> Is that teasing? My dad does that. I hate it when he does that. You're like, just go back for one second. I'll just take a picture. No, no, no. <laughs> Feels good to do that to someone else. See, look at that. The petty flesh. The sin nature at work. Right? Look at that. Followed by what spirit? I don't know. Okay. Now we're going to go to Genesis 2. We covered 10. Oh, God's creation was good. God's creation was created good. That was 10 truths in one chapter. Let's go to Genesis 2. And on the seventh day, he finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed it and made it holy because he rested on it from all the work that he had done in creation. All right, image bears. Here's something out here. Okay, so we're supposed to reflect his glory on the earth. What do we think that is? Uh, reflect his glory on the earth. Reflect his glory on the earth. I need to be praying all the time and reading my Bible all the time. You need to be doing that probably in an ever-increasing amount. I, I have yet to reach the pinnacle of I don't need any more of it. Okay? All right. But that's not the only way you reflect the glory of God. You live for him and reflect him in everything you do. Okay? So I just said we were created to work. Right? And when you work hard, you reflect God's glory on the earth. How about when you sit down, you go to St. Malo. Maybe it's not St. Malo. Actually, I love St. Malo. Why not? You go to St. Malo, it's your day off, and you sit down with your family, and you stretch out on the beach, and you look around, and you just say, this is good. I love the sun. We're probably all craving a little bit warmer than plus one. Plus 30 sounds amazing. This is good. I see my kids. Well, they don't really come to St. Malo anymore. Well, some of them do. It's kind of different now in their teens. But anyways, I'm imagining when they were younger <laughs> and they just loved everything we did all the time. <laughs> Love you, Caitlin. And Sarah, you're out there. Anyways, and yeah, it doesn't matter. Point is, you're sitting there enjoying. You're like, what is that? That, that reflects God's glory? Absolutely it does. He sat back too and looked around and said, it is good. You don't think he cares about the little things in your life? You think he's a slave driver? You haven't read this thing then. Now he balances that because we're not just created to rest too. <laughs> he works hard. In fact, he modeled the six-day work week <laughs> with a one-day rest. Neat. But on that day of rest, he didn't just do what we would call quote-unquote spiritual things. He looked back and said, look how good this creation is. And he just enjoyed it. And we can do the same thing and reflect his glory on the earth. I don't know about you, but I want to know a God like that. Okay, moving on. Then the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Ooh, there we go, work again, remember? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Whoa! Why would he do that? Why would God put a tree in there that tempted them, or that he knew could, only to tell them not to eat it? Well, first, before we talk about that one tree, remember, he had created an entire earth, put them in a garden, the Garden of Eden. 
that was more spectacular than probably anything we've ever seen, and said you can do basically anything. That's what he said, right? Gave them purpose and value and meaning. They walked with him hand in hand. They could eat anything. There was only one thing they couldn't do. And you say, why, why would he do that? Because part of who God is, he wants people to love him the way he loves them. He didn't just want to create animals. He already created a bunch of them. Animals just do what their instincts tell them to do. But he created image bearers that were like him. And in order to, to give them, a, you know, to, to create us in a, in a way that we could choose to love him, he had to give us a legitimate choice to choose to reject him. Even if that wasn't his desire. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Oh, look at that. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your emotional state. God does? Yeah, it's right here in Genesis 2. He'd given Adam absolutely everything already. Was walking with him. Adam already knew God and was walking with him. And then he goes and says, oh, it's actually not good that you're alone. Look at the, look at the details that God cared about in human beings' lives. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. <laughs> Sorry. Try not to be a middle schooler as I read that. <clears throat> I don't know why he called me to do what I'm doing. I do not have the maturity for it. Anyways. <laughs> let's go back to... <sighs> take a deep breath and go right back into truth. Stay on track. Stay on track. Last week it was gymnasio, this week it's naked and unashamed. Anyways, and then Phil Wickham has that whole song in there. I want to be in, like it was back in Eden. <laughs> Try singing that song without smiling the whole way through. Eleven, God gave people the ability to choose him or reject him. God gave that. Choice came from God, absolutely. God loves people, cares about the details of their lives. Loneliness, God wants people to love him of their own free will. He wants you to choose to love him. He doesn't want to force you. You get this idea that he's wanting to force. No, he wants, doesn't want to force. And by the way, you're like, well, what about, like, it's not much of a choice if you're saying, if you don't love me, I'm going to send you to hell. That's a misconception, and we're going to cover that next week. That is a very big misconception and a crafty lie of the devil. Next week. Okay, moving on. This week. There's more. God cares about our relationships. I'm created to be in relationship with God. I'm also created to be in relationship with other people. I'm created to work and to rest and enjoy creation. Hmm. I was given the dignity and respect to choose to love God or reject him. That was dignity that he gave us. It was gentle. It was kind. It wasn't harsh. He said, you have a real choice. God created marriage to be a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. God made marriage. God defines marriage, not us. See why it matters what we believe? A lot of these questions we have, right? The goalposts are moving. The goalposts are moving. And then we're like, well, yeah, but love is love. And whoa, 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 wait a second. I thought God is love, not love is love. That's also in here. God is love. He defines love. You think, oh, boundaries, dear boundaries. It, God is a prude then, he's harsh. He wants to keep you from things that will hurt you. Oh, I'm gonna get ahead of myself. Nope, we're not there yet. God created sex as a good gift to be experienced in marriage only. This is important. We don't define who we are, God does. We don't define marriage, God does, right? You know, we also don't define a person's worth. People talk about God being a misogynist or a racist. Are you kidding? He made all people in his image. It's human beings that become misogynistic and racist. God isn't. That's a problem of sin. That's not a problem of God. I don't care what your race is or ethnicity. You are an image bearer. A mago dei created in the image of God. You have value beyond anything human beings have ever built. The greatest cities, the greatest empires... 
you have value beyond that. Who, by the way, who dictates value? I would say, I mean, something my dad taught me years ago when I was telling him, um, I used to collect comics, right? And comic cards, and then you'd have these books that tell you how much everything's worth. And, you know, I'd go to my dad, I was all pumped. I'm like, Dad, look at this. Like, I have all these special cards and comics, and it's worth this much money. And he looked at me and smiled, and he says, things are only worth what people are going to pay for it. <laughs> Truth. That's true, isn't it? So I would say to the bookends here of created things decide what, uh, value. So a creator of something can decide value, right? They have some say in the value of the object, but then the purchaser decides value. Amen? Does, it, does that make sense? You want to know how valuable humans are then? We are created in God's image. Already there, he says, more valuable than anything else on the planet. Then he turned around when we malfunctioned, when we sinned, and he bought us with his own, with his own son. You don't think you have value? You think God's racist? That he's prejudiced? Okay, moving on. I'll give you one bonus on here that I didn't even say to, it's not in there. My daughter asked me, Sarah, she's here, and she had asked me, we were on a date the other day, and, and uh, so we're talking about faith, questions that she has, and she said, well, you know, there's one thing in Genesis that does, you know, I wouldn't mind an answer for, and I said, well, what's that? This whole business of God creating man first and Adam and then creating Eve afterwards and saying that he would create Adam a helper, oh, well, she's like, that's kind of like saying guys are better than girls. That's, hey, I can see that. People have charged God of that. He's a misogynist, right? So I said, okay, there's two answers I want to give you to that. Number one, the first is, God saw that man was incomplete. <laughs> man alone was incomplete. God made woman to complete. He was alone and he was incomplete. So I said, that's number one. Number two, the word in Hebrew used for helper. I said, you want to know who else was called helper? Because you're thinking helper means like inferior. First off, position does not dictate value. Purchaser, right? And creator dictate value. We've already covered that. Secondly, though, helper. You know who else is called our helper? God. Do you think being told you're a helper makes you inferior? He says he's our helper. It's not a statement of inferiority. It's an honor to be called anything that he would call himself. It's a great honor. Anyways, that was a bonus. 12 minutes. Oh, yeah. See, we look at that. We pray, and the Lord's just rocking. We are two chapters in, and if I go back, 20 foundational truths deep. Don't rob yourself of the opportunity to discover this for yourself. 20 truths, two chapters, one to go. And I had to go fast because I realized it would be at the end of the message. But that's okay because we have next week. And by the way, we didn't even pick out every truth and everything you could pick out. There's lots more. Like I said, he loves beauty. He's like, there's lots like he's creative patient. There's things I didn't even list on the list. Anyways, Genesis 3, 1 to 13. Let's talk about the fall and the entrance of sin and evil into creation. Because remember, he said at the end of Genesis 1, God looked at his creation and said what? It is good. It was good. It was good. So, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, who? Did God actually say? Let those words ring in your heart because he's using it on you, maybe not right in this moment, but he's using it on you in your own life. It's one of his best lies. Did God actually say this? And then he goes on to show you the compromise that's maybe just a little bit off. Counterfeit. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Look at that. So God said you can eat of anything you want. 
We always focus on the one thing that God says we can't have. Isn't that human nature? The one thing. He says, do whatever you want. Go have fun. Eat whatever you want. Don't eat that one thing. You know who else does this? We do it when we're kids too. Isn't that the truth? Right? Oh, play with anything in the basement you want. Just don't touch the TV. That's the one thing. Touch, 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 touch. Oh, I was that kid. We grew up in Woodstock, had this massive yard. It was beautiful. It was great. My dad said, do not play on the boulevard because it was busy. Devonshire was a busy road there. And there was lots of cars. They didn't want me to die. Most boundaries are set up for that reason from loving parents. Most. Some are just to keep them from being annoyed. Anyways, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so he says, don't, don't, don't put your foot on, Devon, on the boulevard, right? That little bit of grass before the road. And I walked outside, massive yard, front and back, lots to play with. And I walked over to the front of the yard, and I stood on the sidewalk. And I looked at my dad in the living room window, and I did this. And then I did this. You've never seen Pastor Ray move that fast. <laughs> You're like, did he transport like Philip? <laughs> like, he was just like, bam, he's there. And I was, bam, inside, and I got a spanking for that. <laughs> it's a good lesson, right? <laughs> Human nature. We all do that. Right? You can play on the whole yard. I'll give you the whole yard because I love you and I care about you. But I know what's best for you. And I know what could hurt you, could even kill you. So don't put your foot over there. And isn't it like us human beings to go and test the waters for ourselves like we know better? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Did God really say is the same lie he's using today? Like I said before, he's using it on you. Did God really say you're valuable? Don't look to him. Look to everyone else. You're not the smartest kid in school. You're not the fastest kid in, in sports. You're not the best employee at work. You don't have the best job there. He wants you to compare yourself to the world. God said, I made you in my image. Creator. God says, I purchased you with a high price. Purchaser. Did God really say male and female only? Did God really say one man and one woman in marriage and a lifelong covenant? Did God really say? All right. The devil was telling a half truth when he challenged what God had said. He was. He said, for God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will see evil. He knew that. That was true. You know what he didn't tell them? Is that that boundary line was put there to protect them. These goalposts that our culture is telling us make us bigots or hateful are there to protect and love people. I'm not saying that makes life easy for people who are struggling. I've been someone who struggles. I'm still someone who struggles. But the answer to my struggle is not being told that everything I want to do is right. It's not going to build strong mental health. It's not going to lead people to abundant life and it most certainly will not lead people to eternal life. I'm not going to finish. Okay, let's do this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Lord walking in the garden. Do you know what God's plan was? You think, oh, he's distant, he doesn't care. Distant and doesn't care? First off, we're learning more about God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Isn't that an interesting description of God? You think he's harsh and so unrelatable? Do you like walking in the cool of the day through a garden to go meet with someone that you love? That's who God is. That's him. He's also holy and righteous. We're going to talk about that next week. (laughs) We're not there yet. And it says, The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is Adam. So God says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. (laughs) By the way, look at that. So we have the first sin, which is eating of the fruit. And then immediately after that, the first instinct is to blame. (laughs) She made me do it. Right? No culpability, no personal responsibility. Then the Lord said to the woman, uh, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Foundational truth. Let's add to our list. oh, Oh, sorry. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Right? Um, So they kicked him out of the garden. That's why. So the reason they got kicked out of the garden was that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life. So now we'll look at the foundational truths that we're adding on here. We're going to add three more. And then we're just going to bring it to a close. And I'll finish it next week. That's fine. Because I wasn't going to finish the whole thing anyways. Adam and Eve rejected God. They chose. Now we're going to talk about what does that mean for us. Is it fair for us to suffer their consequence? Well, we don't entirely suffer their consequences, but we're affected by it. Sin has that effect always, even today. You think your sin doesn't affect those around you? It does. It affects your kids. It affects your friends. It affects your parents. It affects your, the people you work with. It totally does. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. That's, that's next week. For now... Adam and Eve rejected God. Creation was corrupted as a result. This is sin, like a Trojan virus. Creation entering into a computer. Creation was corrupted by sin. Which was not part of the original design. But it's important to know, God was also not surprised by it because he gave them a real choice. He had already planned how we were going to fix it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week more But I was not created to know everything. This is another truth in there that we actually really need to get. I was not created to know everything. God sets parameters for my well-being. His laws are, are you know, I was going to say they're not restrictive. They are restrictive. Like my dad said, don't go on the boulevard because he didn't want me to get hit by a car and die. God gives you parameters. And they are sometimes restrictive. And they are sometimes hard to follow. But they're always for your good. Always. And for the good of those around you. Always. And besides, 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. There is actually a freedom and a weight being lifted that He wants to give you if you will learn to Pick up your cross and follow him. Reject some of that flesh. Pick up your cross and follow him. All right. I am going to end there. Yep, I'm going to do it. So Genesis 1 to 3 summed up. I, was, I had one more truth on there. That's fine. 23 truths. And we didn't even fully get through Genesis 1 to 3. We did about two and a half chapters. And I'm sure you can go through that, and I would challenge you to read it for yourself, Genesis 1 to 3, this next week. And see if you can come up with any other truths. And if you can't, take this list into your devotions and begin asking what are the implications on your life. If this is true about me, if this is true about God, then what does this mean for my life? And then let's begin building our lives on truth. You want to know who you are? You want to know your identity? You want to know the purpose for which God created you, why you're here, your existence? You want to know how you came to be? You want to know where you belong? All of these answers are found in him. All of them.
Lord, many places in the world we recognize they would risk their lives to get a hold of one of these books. They will risk time, they will give time, they will sneak in the dead of night. They'll do whatever they can to get their hands on the word they're so desperate for you and for truth. Lord, we just tell you that I don't know why it is, maybe it's the busyness of this world or the fact that we have 10 of these in our homes and we see so many books but we have forgotten the power of the word, of your word. We have forgotten how precious your word actually is. And as a result, Lord, we've built on sand. But today, Lord, I ask that you would bring us back to the simplicity of building our lives on you, on the rock, on what is true. I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that stay soft. In a world, Lord, that that increasingly seems to be post-Christian and doesn't seem to hold to our ideals, that's okay. I pray that you would give us thick skin and a soft heart. That we would not be easily offended. We would be quick to love, quick to turn the other cheek, but that we would be uncompromising as we stand on truth. Now, Lord, we worship you. We give you our affection and our attention. May you be honored and glorified.